0: pray. Holy Spirit, we invite you in this place, and we ask right now, in Jesus' name, that you would would give us a new vision. God, please forgive us for this tired old thing we call church that we do every week that no one ever thinks about, no one actually ever engages in. Lord, I pray that you would help us have a fresh relationship with you, a fresh vision of what community could look like. God, It is our intent, it is our desire to seek and follow after you, to be a light to this world. And God, please forgive us when things in this life, when things in our own lives get in the way of that. Spirit, transform us. Change us, break us, mold us, whatever it would be. Make us into disciples. Make us into servants. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, good morning and welcome, and welcome to the last Sunday before things kind of start again. Welcome to the last Sunday before uh, things get crazy. And so traditionally, Labor Day weekend, the Labor Day Sunday service has always been kind of where I get to kind of have a chance of speaking like a like a one-off, right? We just wrapped up uh, a series on the Psalms, and if you missed any of that, it's online. You can go back and listen to that. And we started a new series next week, which I'm really excited about, but you're going to have to find out what that is. So today I get a chance to kind of to kind of speak about what's on my mind grapes, what what I've been thinking about, what has been on my mind. Um, One of the things that has been on my mind a lot um, is this idea of what, what what is church, what is this thing we do every week? What is, this, what is this gathering that we do every week that we kind of come to? We have a kind of a, you know, a love-hate relationship or a love-guilt relationship or just a guilt-hate relationship. I don't know, right? Like, what, like what do we do here every Sunday that we think this is so important or not important or is it important or is it as important as, as these things that we do? And so I've been thinking a lot about this idea of church and of community and fellowship. This church here, Uptown Community Church, was started four years ago, Yeah, about four years ago. Yeah, four years ago. We started at Uptown Community Church four years ago as a way of saying, what does the New Testament church teach us? What does it look like and how do we grasp a hold of that? And that really was the mustard seed that we planted in Uptown Community Church. And it has been a roller coaster. It has been ups and downs. It's been been laughter. It's been tears. It's been all kinds of different things. And, you know, over the last four years, I've had a, you know, love, 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 hate, 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 love, love, hate, love, love, hate. And that's only the last week relationship with the church. And so um, we have to kind of say, say to ourselves, let's go back and ask ourselves, what are we doing? What are we doing as as Christ followers? What are we doing as a church? Came across this great article by Karen Shepherd on this idea of authentic fellowship, and she says this. um, Many churches have a superficial idea and experience of community. Christian community is easily mistaken for mere cordiality, courtesy, or sociability. It easily becomes the least common denominator fellowship, not much different from the Kiwanis or the neighborhood potluck. Often so-called Christian community is marked by nothing that is specific. Christian and nothing that challenges the value of surrounding pagan society. I think that's actually very true. When we talk about community, when we talk about church, when we talk about this thing that we do, what makes it different? What makes it different than just simply kind of, you know, getting together in with a, like, with, whether it's a school group or a book study club or, or a baking group or a running group, whatever it is you think you do outside of this thing, what makes it different? And, and, and the fact is, if we can really be honest, and I mean like brutally honest, not much. There isn't much that says, wow. Like if somebody walks in off the street and sits down or is a part of this where they're a small group, do they walk out going, "I wow, those people really love Jesus. Are they really excited about Jesus or are there is something different about them? Or do they walk out and going, eh, I've seen better. You know, there's this church down the street that's got you know camels or clowns or or whatever, or they've got explosions or lasers or or whatever. There's a church down the street that's got stained glass. You guys got nothing. Right? Like, uh, I've seen better, right? So what what are we actually doing here? And so what Karen Shepherd says is actually I think really insightful and I think a little bit problematic in the sense that when we talk about church today and we talk about whatever we're trying to do, there isn't that much that's different. Than what we are what we are accomplishing. Um, some stats you have, have to kind of keep in mind here. Only about a quarter of young people, ages twenty three to thirty seven, attend church. That is a huge drop. We've talked a little bit about the demographics before at UCC. You know, from the the builders, the boomers, the Xers, the millennials, the Gen Zers. We've said, and you know. Um, we are experiencing, and churches around the world are experiencing this, that the younger generations do not see this gathering as that important. And therefore, they have kind of stopped attending or attend very sporadically. Now, for Uptown Community Church, we are so grateful for university students, and we are we're excited to have them back next week or whenever they back to arrive. And so we are a church that is kind of uh, might have a, a ridiculous amount of, of younger people, but the fact is, at large, churches are experiencing this huge uh, uh, decrease in younger people. Here's another statistic. For every new church that opens, four close. People don't talk about this anymore. People don't really kind of talk about this, but you know, for every church, every church plant that you hear about, four churches have closed. And that's terrifying in the sense that churches should be, like, um, when you think about the demographics of, of Canada, right? You've got rural, you've got urban, and you've got this kind of mix of in-between. What you really want, though, is a church that is, that is located 20 minutes from a population center. Well, there are places now in uh, rural areas and smaller areas that ch- there just aren't any churches that are, that are there anymore. Uh, I remember, um, uh, of course, in my milk route, I I go into some smaller little hamlet areas and I see like for sale signs for church buildings all over the place. I'd love to buy them and transport them down here, but, you know, they're out where they are. And so we see this happening, and denominations don't talk about this very much at all because it's embarrassing. Churches are closing at an alarming rate in Canada, in North America, in Western Christianity, and we don't talk about it anymore. Nearly 60% of millennials who grew up going to church have stopped. Not just... Wrap your mind around this. There has never been more time where churches have invested, spent more money on youth groups or youth pastors or young adults groups, university groups, whatever you want to call them, with less return. This is horrifying to think about. I was a youth pastor for 20 years, and I used to talk to these youth pastors, and you know, they would always bemoan, it. if I had more of this, if I had more of that, you know, if I was this, if I was that, if I had this thing take place, or I had this, or I had this building, or if I had this cool thing, you know, then, then the students would come. And it doesn't matter how cool of a venue you had, the students would come, but they would leave. And that's whether it's in college university, or whether it's post-university or college, they just, they don't come back. And of course, what that means simply is that, you know, we have this two t- tensions happen in the church here. We've got an older generation that has, um, you know, have sunk their blood, sweat, and tears in this thing called church, but we have a younger generation going, meh, not that interested. It doesn't really, come, there's nothing interesting about what we do here. And I would say to you, and I would propose to you, that one of the reasons this is taking place is because we have forgotten to talk about what this gathering is meant to be about. We just haven't had really honest conversations about what's worked, what hasn't worked, our failures and our successes. We haven't. We've talked about this idea of consumer, uh, consumer Christianity, right? With this idea that you know, Christianity is all about you know like, uh, serving the consumer, you are the consumer. And therefore, we have to kind of get cooler, we have to get hipper, we have to get bigger, we have to get more, we have this, we have to do that. All in the hope that somebody shows up And what takes place is churches now become resource hogs in regards to investing in all this lights and cameras and this and that and all, all these things. But the people are very, very disinterested. I was listening to this podcast by a guy named Tom Rainier. He does a leadership podcast. And he said um, Lifeway Research, which is this group in the States who do, like, uh, church statistics and things like that, they came up with this one startling statistic Then Tom Rainier talked about. He said that at any given time, 15% of a church population is looking to leave the church. 15%. Now, for some churches, um, one of the churches I worked for was a large church, and we wouldn't blink at 15% because we had, like, you know, over... You know, like 12, 15, 17, 100 people. So 15% was nothing. But for churches, remember, in Canada, the majority of churches, 80% of churches in Canada are under 200 people. 80% of churches in Canada are under 200 people. And 15% of that population, that hurts. That hurts. And so what we have forgotten now, what we stopped asking questions is, um, what are we doing here? What are we gathered here for? And what is so special about this? And if nothing is special, I think what we're seeing the younger generation saying, you know, what there isn't that much special about this, or I've never been taught what I'm supposed to do here. Therefore, you know, um, there's a you know this festival going on, or this thing's going on, or that thing's going on, or frankly, I would just rather sleep in. And so, therefore, I'm just not going to attend. And that's actually true. And I think this is a failure on, on different levels. But I think what it teaches us is that there's something else going on that we have to kind of talk about. Well, this morning I've been, um, I want to talk about a phrase that's in the New Testament. And it, it pops up a whole bunch of different places. And it's interesting because how it actually kind of teaches us about church. The phrase is one another. There are 59 one another statements in the New Testament. And Paul the Apostle wrote 60% of them. So, if you were to do a study in the New Testament of one another, you would find something kind of interesting take place actually and this is what I have been thinking about a lot as we come to the fall season. Like I have my next three series kind of mapped out, and it all kind of falls into this kind of category of the other so Let me kind of give you a little bit of a background here. The phrase one another is derived from the Greek word alelon, which means one another, each other, mutually, reciprocally. It occurs 100 times in the New Testament. Approximately 59 of these occurrences are specific commands teaching us how and how not to relate to one another. Obedience to these commands is imperative. It forms the basis for all true Christian community and has a direct impact on our witness to the world. What is interesting is that the word appears a hundred times in the New Testament, but of those hundred times, 59 of them are specific commands, and the specific commands tend to be a little bit behavioral. Let's come back to Karen Shepard now, and she has, has something to say this, uh, about this in the article. Most of these passages imply behaviors, not just attitudes. The New Testament writers are less concerned with how believers feel about each other than how, uh, how they are about their actions. They're living together as community and publicly as disciples. Sometimes we, reserve, we reverse this, focusing on attitudes but forgetting action. And so what Karen Shepard says in her article, and I think she's absolutely correct, is when you look at these one another statements, they're all about behaviors. How do we act? Not really what you believe. Because if we can really be honest, church can be one of those things where we don't really like everyone all the time. We we don't we we have to kind of be honest with that. Like you're my brother and my sister, but you irritate the heck out of me. You know, like like you're the person that parks in our spot or you sit where you're not supposed to. You have you can't clap on time. You you can't even sing or whatever it would be whatever the thing is that people would, you talk too fast. Okay, so this idea is is that what she's saying here. These one another statements, they're not really about what you believe. They're about how you behave, which is interesting because what that teaches us is it tells us something that the New Testament might've been more concerned, not about, um, what you thought or how you felt, but more about what was the outcropping of that? What was the outflow of that? The outcome of that? Um, Andy Stanley uh, has this phrase I think it's kind of funny I want to reference this The primary activity of the church Is one anothering one another When everyone is sitting in rows You can't one another So he uses this idea of one another As kind of a verb, as a phrase And I think he's absolutely correct That what he's saying is that The church was meant to one another Right, like that's really our Kind of our motto We're meant, we're born We're created to one another And Sunday morning really isn't a one-anothering time apart from, you know, the greeting of like, you know, you know, talking to someone and saying hello. But it's not really this kind of, this monologue that I do when you sit there. That's not really one-anothering type of a thing. So whatever this Sunday morning is, it's part of the church experience, part of the Christian experience, but it's not the whole of the church experience. And so what he says is actually, I think, kind of interesting. He says, one anothering was what the church was known for, what it was created for, but we don't do that at a really high capacity. We don't really do a good job of that. So if you were to take the one another statements, you can break them down into the three categories. And the three categories are very interesting because it kind of tells us about the behaviors of the church. The first category of the one another is unity. One-third of the one another statements deal with the church getting along. And so when you go through and you look at this Greek word and you see where it's used, a third of these times are about churches getting along. Isn't that interesting? That the early church, which was supposed to be this most dynamic part of the church, was supposed to be this most vital Holy Spirit filled people with the apostles, what people are trying to tell people, just, just get along, people. Just, just get along. You know, just even if you don't like each other, pretend. Just don't, you know, just, just get along, right? The one another statements, which are all about modification, about how we treat one another. Because if we are looking at the world as a model, in the world today, people are really about themselves. What's in it for me? What, what, what do I get out of it? Is this any of, of any benefit to me? How can you convince me that this is something worth my time or worth my, my money, worth my anything, right? The world is all about me. It's narcissistic. It's it's all about our internal kind of pleasure centers. Well, the one another same is the first third of them tells us that in this thing called the church, in this thing called Christianity, whatever term you want to apply to it, there is an assumption that we're not all going to get along. Right, and remember, we talked about this um, a few uh, sermon series ago. That when you look at the values of the builders, right, so uh, the, the the oldest generation that's in Canada right now, and the values of the Gen Zers, which is the other spectrum, the value systems of these two generations, these two demographics, are diametrically opposed to one another. Right, so builders and boomers love buildings. They love building things, right? This, that's why they're called the greatest generation. They built a lot of what we take for granted. But because of that, you know, they see a high value in these buildings. Therefore, a lot of the builders and the boomers, they built big buildings to whatever it would be. And that infiltrated itself into the church. The other direction, the millennials and the zetters are like, I don't care. I can be in a warehouse. I could meet in a theater. I can meet in someone's home. I can mean a big in a big church too. That's fine as well too, but it's not as high value. Now remember as well too, in Canada right now, the two largest demographics are the Boomers and the Zetters. And in the church right now, there is a great deal of conflict between these two generations because the Boomers look at the Zetters as like, I don't want to be cliche. I was going to say whippersnappers, but that may be true. I, I don't know, right? But they they look at them as disloyal. Because the Zetters are dismantling what the, the boomers have built. And they're like, because the Zetters are coming along going, you know what? I don't think that's important. And the builders go, don't you understand what I had to do to get this to make, to make this happen? And so it's like, right? And we've forgotten this idea that whether it's this idea of um, a building is valuable or not valuable, it, that's irrelevant. It's a symptom of a greater problem. And the greater problem is we forgot about the one another. We forgot just about mutual respect of love and care for and concern for one another. It's not about dismantling this or building that. That's irrelevant. It's this idea that whatever at the end of the day Christianity was supposed to be, it wasn't meant to be a whole bunch of people fighting with each other about who was right. And that's what it's become. If someone walks into a church and and, and sits there and, and listens to the conversations that you have out in the lobby or when you're walking up or whatever they would be horrified. They're like, you guys aren't even as nice as a Aquanis. Like, like, you've got nothing. I don't even know what. Like, like, you guys talk about Jesus? I don't see that reflection anywhere. And I have to say, they're probably, they're probably accurate in that statement. So the one another statements were all about this idea of saying, you know what? Accept, bear, peace. Do not slander one another. It's this idea that you whether you're right or wrong, the relationship is more important. And really the language that's being applied here is within a family. So within family systems, functional or dysfunctional, whichever your background is, and if, you know, we want to really be kind of vulnerable, it's a bit of both at most, at the best of times, right? So I have five older sisters, right? And so the, the, the dynamic between the six siblings is, well, it's, it's, it's fun, it's loud, it's, it's spicy because we're Indian. Um, but it's also, it's, it's also other stuff as well, too. And by the way, I'm not just saying this. One of my sisters is here, so she will totally narc on me to my other sisters if I say anything that's untrue. So just to be, just to be clear on that. But the point is simply this. In sibling relationships, the overarching thing of family is meant to supersede the individual arguments. Right? And so that binding agent is meant to be greater than the tension or the fighting that takes place. Well, within a church group in a community, that is also meant to be the case. I and mean, when you walk in here, you may not like or know or, you know, not understand or like, I don't know, and that clothing or that hairstyle or that tattoo or, or that lack of hair or the too much hair or perfume or not. All these dumb things we talk about as if it's important. We forget about the one another statements. And the one other other statement says, your background, whatever it be, whatever you are, whoever you are, you're made in the image of my creator. And you bug me, but I love you, and I'm working on liking you, you know? And so that idea is really absent from the church. And I think one of the things that uh, the younger generations, the millennials and debtors, one of the things I think they contribute so greatly to the church is this, this, this Alarming hypocrisy that we have just whitewashed right over top of, right? Just this hypocrisy of like, if you guys love Jesus so much, why do you hate each other so much? Right? This this idea is like, wow, wow. Like, and they've picked up on that, and they've picked up and saying, you know what? If you guys can't even live it out in this that supposedly um, um, atmosphere of, of of getting along, of, of mutual understanding, you can't even figure it out here. How are you going to figure it out, out there? So the one and other statements, kind of the first one is unity. The second one is this idea of love. Another third is about loving sacrificially. I love what uh, Galatians 5.13 says, You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge in the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. Be devoted to one another in love, Paul tells us in Romans. And Jesus is this. You know, churches are all about mission statements or vision statements and all that kind of uh, stuff. How about we just put this verse in there for our mission statement for church? A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So the second idea of, of another is loving one another and not just loving like I love you. I don't like you, but I love you. You know, it's just, it's just something that goes deeper than that and this idea of sacrificial, right? This idea of like, you know, you and I disagree on this, but I love you. And hopefully you're understanding something here too. When I talk about the other, I don't just mean somebody who's not a Christian. The other can be someone in here or it can be somebody out there. Basically, the other is anybody that's not you. And if you need me to go any plainer than that to explain it. Um, Somebody who's not biologically you is the other. And so the Bible tells us to love the other. Whether it's the other who identifies as being a Christ follower or the other who does not identify as anything at all or whatever they identify, the Bible says to love that other as well too. But Jesus says something interesting. He says, you know what? You know what's going to be the best characteristic of the world to, to help the world understand what we are? It's if we love one another. Now, Within that statement, there has to be this reality that loving people doesn't always mean agreeing with behavior. It doesn't always mean agreeing with what they do or how they act. It just simply means I love you and let's work through the stuff that I don't like. And if you look deeper into the Bible, and not not even that deep, it's pretty much right there, this idea that, you know, let's make sure that we are living according to what Christ would have for us. So that love is also kind of a... uh, I don't want to say confrontation, but I do want to say that there is this, this, this permission that's given in Scripture that if you see a brother and sister that is acting, living, behaving in a way that perhaps might be uh, against what Christ would have for them, then we as, as a community can kind of say, you know what, this thing, this behavior, what you're doing may not be the best thing for your spirit, but we are going to still love you and keep you in community. Hopefully we can work through this together. So the second idea of, of the, uh, one another, the, of the other, is this idea of loving one another, but sacrificially. The third group is kind of a mishmash of different stay, sayings, right? So you look through them, it's like, okay, the, these don't really fall under the, uh, uh, under the um, about um, unity and about love. They just kind of fall into kind of different categories. But the largest of the last third fall into humility, as a behavior, as a characteristic of a Christ follower. And it says in different ways, different things it says, now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should also wash one another's feet. Honor one another above yourselves. Do not do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, rather, in humility, value others, one another's above yourselves. All of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. So this idea of the other, this third category, isn't completely all about humility, but more than half the last one of those statements fall in this classification of humility. And what it teaches us is this: is when you walk into this room, we don't look at somebody, we don't judge them, we don't go, "Well, your your life's a bit of a mess. You should. My life's not." You know, you're young in school, so then you know nothing. Uh, And I've been out of school for X amount of years, so I know everything. Or I've been a Christian, or I'm this, or I'm that, or I've been this. What would it look like? What would a group of people look like that would remove pride and ego from how they behave towards one another and just say, how can I serve you? What would a group of people look like if all they thought about was how can I outserve you? What would that look like? I guarantee you that every one of you would want to be part of that group. Every one of you would want to be part of that group, and yet the Bible tells us one another's are meant to be humble, uh, honor one another above yourselves. I'm pretty terrific, you know. I, I'm, I'm 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 kind of all that and a bag of chips. Like really, what other like that person there, right? How, how do you do that? Um, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. That might as well be the model for Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, Snapchat, or any other social media sites we have there, right? Vain conceit, right? That's, that's really all it is. And... You know, I'm not here to talk about uh, you know social media use, although that could be another whole sermon series altogether. I'm just simply saying this: the world looks for ways to pump themselves up, inflate themselves, while the church, Jesus comes along with his pin, just kind of let out that gas, that 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 puffed upness, and just says, "You know what? the po- the proper stance, the proper posture of a Christ follower is not as a authoritative kind of leader, but it's as a servant. And the thing about that is Jesus, Son of God, God himself, took that posture and modeled that for us. The very founder of whatever we believe took this posture and yet we forget this. One of the things I think is so fascinating is when people come to a faith community, church community, and it's like, what's in it for me? What do you have for me? What programs do you have for me? What do you, what do you have that I can have? It's like, we have some things, we have other things. You know, hopefully you like them, hopefully, I don't know. But really, what are you going to do for us? How are you going to serve? How are you going to give your life away? And not just for us. Like It's not about like, hey, I need, I need you to come over and paint my bedroom, or I need you to help me move this, or can you take the garbage out? I hate going through recycling. Can you come do that, right? You know, It's not that. It's just this posture of, you know, you're valuable. Therefore, I'm going to serve you. And you're not valuable because you're related to me. You're not valuable because I think you've done to me or done for me. You're just valuable because you're creating God's image. The largest of the categories of the the last of the one another statements falls into this idea of humility. So when we talk about one another, we have to first look at this idea of the one. The action-reaction starts with one. And I say action-reaction because this word reciprocal, give and take, this is the very heart of the Greek word, Alendon. And so what we see in this is this idea that it's meant to be this kind of give and take, right? And and it can be dysfunctional if it's a person only taking, 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 or it can be dysfunctional with someone only giving, giving, giving. You must give and you must receive. It's meant to be both. And sometimes in our lives, we're up and down in the sense of like what's going on in our lives. And so in some points of our lives, we need to receive. I, I confess to you, I have a hard time with that. I have a really hard time with telling people when I need help. I do. I absolutely do. I have a really hard time telling people when, I am, uh, when, when things are like uh, that I just need help. I, I, I really do. I don't know why I'm working through it. My wife is yelling at me, and hopefully that'll work together. But um, I, I have a hard time receiving. I do. I absolutely do. I love to give. I love serving. I do. I love serving. Uh, I don't know why. I'm just weird that way. I just, I love just serving people. But I also have a hard time, but that's also a little bit dysfunctional. If I'm only just giving away and I'm not receiving, that's not really balanced. And so the one another, the one has to be this idea of that the the beginning of the relationship is reciprocal, right? And so it's like, yes, I'm going to give, but I'm also going to receive at times when I need to receive, whatever that looks like. It's one person who believes that the other is valuable. Implicit in this idea of the one is that somebody else is valuable, and that is countercultural, right? Because we are taught in this culture that we are valuable, and we are, of course, but we are more valuable when we give our lives away. A person who doesn't see the cost, which is time or resources, as wasted in serving the other, and we're going to talk about this in just a moment, Er, but the idea simply is this, is that, you know, when you serve the other, it's not convenient, that 3 a.m. phone call, that I need help, I need this. Can you, you know, show up a little earlier to help set up or, you know, whatever it would be? It's not convenient. Now, the other. The other is anyone who has a need or is in need. And again, that's all of us at some point in our time in our lives. There is no payback but simply a surrender of ego to receive. And that's my problem. Ego to receive. It's like, okay, you know, it's like, yeah, I'll, thanks for helping me now i'm gonna do 10 things to help you back it's like uh, it's the wrong motive it's like okay i need to i need to kind of bounce that out in a way that you know honors christ but also honors the other the other is then catalyzed catalyzed to seek out the source of the one now here's what i mean by that when we as christ followers are out in the world and just living our lives we live it differently we look at people differently I'll tell you this, that in your offices, in your schools, in the places you work, wherever it would be, whatever way you find yourself, if you serve, people notice that. I have found that somebody who is willing to kind of go and just give their lives away to the people around them, and, and not, not in a, you know, Jesus, he kind of, pre- I, in the name of Jesus, I will help you move. You know, or, you know, in the name of Jesus, I will buy you coffee, right? It's like, uh, you know, might be missing the point. But if we just live sacrificially, people notice that. Because the culture kind of lives opposite to that. And so what we find is, is the other then begins to ask questions like, well, why? Why do you behave this way? Why do you act this way when everybody else doesn't? And then it invites into the conversation about, well, I think that you're valuable, I think you're created in God's image. And because of that, that's worthy of honor and respect. And and so I just want to give my life away t- to you and to others because God has given me so much in my life and I just want to help. And it's not about finances, it's not about any of that. It's like I just, just want to maybe even listen to you as you talk about what's going on in your life. Or um, you know, I remember when I was um many years ago, I used to manage a clothing store. So I was uh, working part-time or by working part-time, I mean volunteering at a church full-time. And then I was working at a church, as well, uh, working at a mall, and I was managing a clothing store. And uh, the word got out in the mall that I was a pastor, that I was uh, I went to Bible college, I was a Christian. And in the beginning, it was kind of this weird kind of a... Car. People were kind of, like, kind of like, oh, you're a Christian, you're a Jesus-y person. And, you know, but you don't... You don't really act or behave, like I think a jesus person would. And so then what would take place in the malls, you know, I'd, if I would go to the food court to have lunch or, or whatnot, somebody would sit down and say, hey, you know, and ask questions. But other times people would go, can you pray for me? Yeah, well, what's going on? Well, I'm going to the doctor or so-and-so. And, so. and like, they would tell me what's going on in their lives. I'm like, yeah, absolutely. I can pray with you and pray for you. And, you know, and, and I'd be able to follow up. But what was interesting is that you know, they had this kind of, I had this opportunity to kind of show them what perhaps the one another looked like in a, in a different context. And so we would have these great conversations with about faith, about God, about this. And, and again, many of them would say to me something like, "You know, I go to church, but I, I." They would just judge me. My life's such a mess. I can't. I can't go to these places. People are all perfect. You know, I, I can't walk in there. If I walk in, they're going to look at me like, "Oh, this person doesn't have their life together." I'm like, Ugh. I always start off with a conversation like, "I am so, so sorry that that's what you think." that's not the case at all. Even if, like, there are some great churches from in, in the area there and, and, and wherever. It's like, perhaps people have thought that or said that or maybe have unintentionally portrayed that. That's not what they actually believe. If you'd walk in there and, and just be honest. And any church that wouldn't, then just walk out of there and and, and I'll tell you where to go. There's, there's some great churches you can kind of connect to. But the idea simply is this, is that we look at people and go, you know what? You're valuable because... Not because of anything you can give me, anything you can do for me, but you're valuable because God made you. One of the statements in the New Testament can be seen as a behavioral report card on the spiritual health of the believer and the faith community. One of the things I have been thinking about a lot is how do we assess if we are spiritually healthy or not? If you were here for when we went through the Seven Deadly Sins series, uh, which is again online if you've missed it. But the seven deadly sins was this report card of seven areas of our lives that can kind of take over from God. And it was a, it was a spiritual report card that came from us from ancient times, saying, you know what? These are seven areas that if you let them go, they will gobble away. They'll take away what God has for you. Well, one and other statements can be like that as well too. Now it's fifty nine statements, so it's a little bit more of a you know larger one. But simply saying this. How are you doing with this? How are you doing with this? How are you doing with the loving, sacrificially, the other? How are you doing with the humility piece? How are you doing with the unity piece? How are you doing with cohesion within the body of Christ? How's that going? And this is actually kind of an interesting way of kind of looking at it. Because if you look at these 59 statements, you look at these things here, you realize, wow. I didn't realize that when I was talking about this person in church or, you know, I, I, that I was not in humility serving them, but in superiority serving, judging them. It's like, whoa, okay, whoa, whoa, whoa. Let's just, let's just turn that around there. Right? Let's, let's stop maybe judging them in superiority, but let's now serve them in humility. It, ter- it turns it around in a different way. So let me give you a couple implications of one anothering. First, one anothering, and again, spell check, please don't even bother. It's not instant. It's not instant, right? Like doing one thing or just saying hello to somebody or or whatever, it's lifelong. It's just lifelong. It's it's not a, I have a checklist. I did one other thing today, so it's good. It's like, this is a posture that we have in, a, in, in for life. And because it's a posture we have for life, it's never done. It's always about, you know, what God has for us. But the thing is though, the beautiful part of this and I tell you this really and just as absolute honesty. If we really understand the treasures of what God has given us by the Holy Spirit, by scriptures, then we are just overflowing with the abundance of wanting just to, to serve. Now, I say that not in pie-in-the-sky idealism in the sense of like, oh, you should always be happy and always do what, yeah. More it's like God really has stuff for us. And we really haven't tapped into what he wants for us. And because of that, perhaps, maybe perhaps, we are not really living Christianity, but we're living this behavioral kind of deism, therapeutic kind of let's just be happy and all smiley and walk around. That's, that's That's not what Jesus died for. It's not honest. It's not vulnerable. It's not authentic. So whatever one anothering is, it's not instant. One anothering speaks to value. The other is valuable. Who's the other? Anybody who's not you. They're valuable. How would this world change politically, socially, financially, if we start thinking of people as just valuable? Just look at someone saying, you know what? You're important. Not because of who you are, not because of anything you've done, but because you are a reflection of somebody who I think is really, really important. That's God. And you bug me, you irritate me, you attack me many times. But I'm not going to respond in kind because you're the other. And so I'm going to find a different way of dealing with it. One anothering has a cost. It has a cost. Remember, one another statements are behavioral. And behavioral simply means you have to behave differently. You have to do something differently. There is a cost to it. And which brings me to one of my final points. Christianity that doesn't require anything from you isn't Christianity. You know, one of the reasons why Sunday morning seems such a blah, vanilla, and if you like vanilla, it's fine. I'm just mean, like, you know, there's chocolate or like hazelnut, like vanilla, right? But uh, you get the idea, right? The reason why I think church seems like such a blah experience is because we think that just sitting there, just staring, that's Christianity. Yikes. We've created this passive Christianity, consumer Christianity, where are just sitting there, just kind of glazed eye like, "Ah, I'm going to put my whatever time it is, and I'm going, I'm out of here." That's what we taught Christianity is. I made a decision when I was younger, and that's good enough. And now I'm just coasting, doing whatever I want, and hopefully, you know, I'll show up Christmas, Easter, and maybe a couple other times if I really want to, you know, get God uh, to love me and all that, and that's good. The one another statements are all behavioral. All behavioral, which means God is very interested in your behavior. Huh. It's not interested, but it's just feeling or thinking. Yeah, yeah, these, these are important too. Internal change, external behavior. Yeah, absolutely. But it's really interesting how God seems to think that how we behave reflects on Him. It's kind of like you ever given a reference for somebody for a job? And, you know, like I, I, like I, as a pastor, I, I have to do references all the time, whether it's for school or for jobs and all that kind of stuff. And I always say to the person, whenever it comes to me, hey, can I use you as a reference? I always say to them, yes, but I will be honest with the questions I ask. So, just beware of that. So if you know, like I had this one person saying, Hey, I'm going to Bible college. I'm like, Bible college? You didn't even show up to church. Like, well, I understand that one. And they said, Yeah, can I use you as a reference? I'm like, Sure, but I will be honest. And by honest, I mean, I'll be telling you you're a complete pagan. And, uh, you know, I actually did say that. Um, anyways, and so, you know, I, I, like when, you, when you, so you use someone, if someone usually uses you as a reference, you feel kind of, um, you feel kind of a responsibility of their reflection wherever they go, right? Because, you know, you gave them a reference. Well, it's kind of like God looking at us going, hey, I've given you a reference. And you're making me look really bad. You know, Jesus came to on the cross. It's good stuff. Gave you the Holy Spirit living inside of you. Supernatural. Woo! <clears throat> you're making me look really bad. Right? This is the thing that I think is so interesting that Christianity that doesn't require anything from us. Christianity that doesn't say to us, There's some things in your life that you need to change, or something you need to kind of maybe modify or be transformed. That isn't Christianity. I don't know what term you're gonna apply to it, but it's just not. One of the things that for this next year for Uptown Community Church, for Wellesley Community Church, um, one of the things that is just uh, really dominating my thoughts is this. These two sentences. This is everything the church is all about here. Reach the lost, disciple the found reach the lost disciple the found this statement is going to be in the back of my head every time we think about what we want to do every time we think about uh, how we want to accomplish we've got some great events coming up this next year we've got um some th- new things we're doing we're getting rid of our citywide things that we did on the on the wednesday evening and we're going to transform that to more of a worship and prayer nights at wellesley and and some other place it's it's we're, we're looking to, towards this idea of like how do we as a church function in a way that's more in keeping with what God wants for us. But the other conversation, however we want to behave as a church, however we want to look and judge how good or how bad we are, and it can be a bit of both, these two sentences, reach the lost, disciple the found, should be at the very foundation of how we view going forward. This year, my prayer, my hope is that Uptown Community Church will continue to be a place where university students find us. And if you're here and you're from university, we want to say to you, please invite your friends. We have a on the 16th. We have like a we're gonna take a, students to pub on King, and we're gonna have like kind of welcome to our students. Uh, and we want to make sure we are welcoming them. But we also want to welcome young families and and older people and and whoever else comes finds us. We want to be that place that's that's redemptive and and, and a place that's safe for them to kick the tires of Christianity. and faith, and spirituality. Wellesley Community Church, as we enter into our second year of this rebuilding, uh, uh, of re-envisioning of what Wellesley Community Church looks like, we want to continue to be uh, a place where people from New Hamburg and, and, and Wellesley and Linwood and, and, and Baden and all these little places that are out there, we, we want to be a central place by which people can come and find a community and faith as well too. Reach the lost, disciple the found. Not ignore the lost, and entertain the found. These words will not come out of our, our mouths. We will not ignore the lost, and we will not entertain you. In your update at the top right-hand corner, welcome to Uptown Community Church. We're not here to perform. You're not here to, or we're not here to entertain. You're not here to perform. Anyways, you read it. You'll, you'll get the idea. Right? We don't care if everything doesn't go 100% correct on Sunday mornings. We like it to go 90%, but if something happens... We're okay with that. We're small, but we're feisty. I'm not just talking about me personally. But we are, we are, we are as a community, we are small, and we are feisty. Let me wrap up. 1 Peter 4, chapter, one, uh, chapter 4, verses 1 to 2. Therefore, not just Paul uses this term, by the way. Uh, therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves with the same attitude. Because whoever suffers in the body is done with sin, as a result, they do not live the rest of their earthly lives for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. Let's stop living our lives for evil desires and whatever that looks like. And you know, the evil desire can be just me, falling into me. Right? Let's live for the will of God. What's the will of God? That everyone should come into relationship with Jesus. That everyone should be discipled and transformed. From the day that you gave your life to Jesus, whatever that looks like, however process you went through that, that gradually, day by day, year by year, week by week, month by month, whatever it be, the Holy Spirit gets more, gets a hold of our lives more and more. And we are transformed. We are changed. Whatever Uptown Community Church is going to become, whatever Wellesley Community Church is going to become, it's going to be because of you. Inviting, talking, engaging, serving the others, the one another's. We want to encourage you to get out there and say, hey, if you know somebody who's not a part of a church community, we do not steal people from other churches, just to be clear. If people from other churches find us, we are, we welcome them. But we do not go out there and say, hey, you're really involved in this church. You'd be great at ours. We don't do that. But if someone comes along and says, hey, you know, I'm looking for something different. what well, we the flavor we have here, it's not sweet and sour. It's more spicy and uh um. I don't know, spicy, just spicy, that's all it is. Um, we, we just, we want to be a, uh, a community that just really follows after the Holy Spirit. This morning I was here at 8 o'clock, nobody else was here, and I just had that chair up there and I was just praying and I just said, Lord, what I really want more than anything is that our gatherings, whether here at Uptown or up at Wellesley, people would experience God's presence. And that, that story in the Bible of, of uh, Exodus where Moses yells at God, I love when Moses yells at God, and he says, if you take your presence from us, what is to separate us from everybody else? What is to separate us from everybody else? We, and, and Moses says, listen, Lord, you know what? I'd rather get to the city and do a bed finally, but if your presence is in the desert, then that's where I'd like to stay because I don't, I don't want to go anywhere that you're not. And my prayer up that seat there was Uptown Community Church and Wellesley Community Church, whatever we've become, I've given up trying to figure that one out, that the people who come would experience God's presence. And I think that's what the church needs to get back to. We are supernatural entities. We are not entities of charity. We are not entities of social ability, and all that. These are fine, but we are supernatural. And we need to get back to that. And that's my prayer for Uptown this next year and for Wellesley as well, too. That we just a place where the people feel God's presence. That people walk in going, that sermon sucked and that worship wasn't even very good, but man, I felt God's presence. I'd be okay with that. A little hurt, mind you, but I'd still be okay with that. I'd be okay with that. And if you could pray, all of you, for both churches, this next year is really important for us. It's really important for Wellesley. We've got such great things in store. We got some big announcements coming up as well, too, with the site pastor and all that kind of fun and exciting stuff. And for Uptown, we just we're we're looking to kind of continue on. And of course, for university students they are part of our community. We are so excited for uh, our university students to come back, but we want to be a place where university students come and experience God and don't leave the church afterwards. We feel Uptown Community Church that's one of our uh, one of our kind of our our missions is to provide a place for university students to come to encounter faith and eat when they're away from school. But I need all of you to get off your uh, spiritual I have no idea in that statement. That's appropriate. Um, and, and just engage. Engage with the Lord. Whatever that looks like. Invite. Pray. Sacrifice. Live for the other. Because that's what God would have for us. Where's Julia? Is Julia... Julia's going to come up and she's going to at least hear one more song, I believe. And I just want, as Julia is leading us in this song, and reflect. Have you been living not for the other, but for the one? And if you have been in this moment, in this time of reflection, just say, Lord... Forgive me. I'm so caught up with my school. I'm so caught up with my job. I'm so caught up with my relationship. I'm so caught up with this that I have forgotten about you. And I want to live for the other. And so this song that Julie's going to lead us in, just you take this time. You can sing along. You can just worship. But it's just more of a time of a personal reflection, personal assessments of like, God, what is it you want from me this next year? This next series we're looking at one of the statements I'm going to say in it is this. Your life is perfectly designed to keep you exactly where you are. It's not what God wants for you, though. It's not. I, God wants so much more for us. He wants so much more for this community, whatever community we find ourselves in. And we are just so passively sitting here saying, God, I have everything I need. I don't need anything else. Just read through this thing one time and to see what God has in store. The good and amazing things God has for Wellesley Community Church, for Uptown Community Church, for the university campuses, for the communities around there. Stop living human-sized dreams. Start living God-sized dreams.